Hello, and welcome to episode 3 of Let Them Eat Cake. This episode will cover the autonomous region of Kurdistan, home to the Kurdish people who are considered the largest group of people without a state. We spoke to two Kurdish people currently living in the autonomous region about regular life, security, politics, and Kurdistan as a whole. This episode will be split into two parts and will be the first of two episodes covering Kurdistan. As for us, we are 5th Gen, an information warfare cooperative that aims to shed light on things those in power want to be kept in the dark. We want to give a voice to the voiceless and give people the information they need to thrive in today's fast-paced society that stops for nobody. We hope you enjoy the show. We have a weapon more powerful than the British Empire, and that weapon is our refusal to bow to any order but our own, any institution but our own. My name is Hevi, and I'm from South Kurdistan, or Bashur. I am 20 years old, and I study linguistics and literature. Growing up, you grew up during the Iraq War, right? Well, I was born in 2002, so when I was born, Saddam was, like, executed. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a Kurdish government, so I always lived in an autonomous Kurdistan. So that's some, what I wanted to ask is... is how much did the war actually affect you in Kurdistan? Do you, is, it, is it as night and day as people say it is? Well, I did not live during the war, but like for my parents, they've been through the Anfar genocide. Do you guys have any idea of that? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it was executed by Saddam Hussein and they killed about 180,000 people. So they lived through that. And there's a lot of like, I would say, generational trauma because we talk about it often in the house, so I know a lot about it and I know what they went through. But me personally, I have never directly been affected by war because it did not impact the Kurdish region. It was most likely in Baghdad and mm-hmm. the other parts. So, so it's pretty much night and day when you cross that border into the Kurdish region. It's we are like not a completely really... different country. Yeah, we're not like at all connected to Baghdad, unless it's like related to us. Because like even the Kurdish media do not cover it much when we watch the news. It's always about like the Kurdish region and what goes on in like the political parties and so on, the situation, but not outside Kurdistan. It's always inside the KRG. Is there a generational gap between you and your parents where did they kind of lack as much of a independent identity? Absolutely, because there's a lot of difference between you know, younger Bashuris and older Bashuris, because all our experiences are different. They went through war, they saw all these atrocities, and they were discriminated on the basis of being Kurdish, basically. And us, we have always lived under um, a Kurdish nation. So I think the, uh, the older generation really appreciates the achievements more. And in terms of votes, it's always like the younger generation that vote for the opposition and the older generation that vote for party and Nikiti, basically PUK or um, PDK. And for them, like they have uh, different, uh, let's say, attributes also. Most of them can speak Arabic. Um, I would say like different behaviors from us because the experience is 100% different. Seems almost similar to uh, the West. But one thing to point out the like political parties in the West it's mostly based on ideology there's like Republican and Democrat 
but for us it's mostly on like the um like the geographical place you know there's hawler and there's like zaho the badini areas the surani areas and it's very very primitive because their supporters are like oh all my ancestors have fought here and uh the people i know fought for this party so i'm loyal to them it's not mm -hmm. like um you know intellectual it's not like i agree with their ideas it's they fought for us and i fought with them and i appreciated their martyrs this is why i supported them yeah, I mean, this is, you see this throughout history in popular fiction. It's like the banner men where you go and you like get all your banners together to unite underneath the king, yeah. you know, like Lord of the Rings. That's what happens at the end. Anyone who knows what's up sees Kurdistan and specifically South Kurdistan as an independent country. So let's talk about the referendum. Yeah, basically, it's like a very, very old topic. Even when I was very young, I knew what referendum was. I knew like we wanted uh, independence even like in school the teachers would talk about um self-determination for nations and how it's like a fundamental human right for everybody of people to be able to have their own independence if they wished it so a lot of people think it's like a recent topic but it's not it has been going on for so long but the first time that was like seriously brought up was during 2014 during the uh, war during the war with uh, ISIS, Masoud Barzani, of course, mentioned it, and uh, they then it was the excuse was because they did not like uh, Nuri Maliki. Um, oh, he was who does though? We wrote a, We wrote yeah. an article on the guy. That guy yeah. sucks. He sucks. The Sunnis hated him. The Kurds hated him. He's the it reason was, we wouldn't have yeah. ISIS if he wasn't up there pressing the Sunnis and parking tanks in front of their government exactly, offices. Exactly, exactly. He, they were in charge of their own government. We had them built up since 2006. There was no reason mm -hmm. for yeah. any of that shit to go down. He just went full Saddam, you know, and just started oppressing exactly. the, the, the other minorities. Yeah, it, it was like, he was a very controversial figure. Like, no one liked him, I think except the Shias. Well, even they don't, because now they support the Sadr movement. Well, I'm not sure about that, but I mean, he was like very controversial. The, the, he's got, he's right underneath them, but the, a majority of the Shia party is, is now under Sadr. They don't have a government. They can't form one, just like Israel right now. Israel's government is collapsing again for like the 18th time in two years. Like they can't form a government. It's too unstable nobody can agree enough to actually form a government so it's just not going to happen they Especially need kurdistan because, yeah yeah because like the situation is very it's divisive in itself you know there's the sunnis and there's the shias and there's the kurds so i think having a government that um caters to all the uh groups it's quite impossible what do you think about the the early solution that they had where they would just chop I, uh, iraq into three states where it would be a shia sunni and kurdish state well, this is really ideal for me, but whenever like I bring this up, the Iraqis nationalists accuse me of wanting to divide Iraq, and it's well, like well, they're nationalists, so <laughs> yeah, but they do deserve a government. Like the Sunnis, it's like the Shia are in power; they are oppressing the Sunnis. The Sunnis are in power; they oppress the Shia. So they definitely need to be like divided. Yeah, and I it's think. gone back and forth throughout history. Totally, yeah, and then throughout the whole region the kurds are just in the center of all this chaos exactly well i was like affected by it negatively then um nuri maliki was uh, he i think resigned and then uh, he came with his name was uh, 
Haider uh, Haider Al Abadi, I think, yeah. He went to power, and so they postponed it. They said, okay, now we will focus on the ISIS war. But um, we were like, we wanted the referendum. It was always going back and forth. No one could like voice any uh, sort of criticism against the government. They would be like, oh, Iraq is worse. Just wait. We will be free. We will have a referendum. It was like um, a, a device to to uh, make us silent about our rights. Like, okay, we are Kurds. For this cause, we will be silent until we have the referendum. So it keeps like going back. And Masoud Barzani, in an interview during 2016, he said, in Oct before October 2016, we will have the referendum. But then Nashirvan, he came and said, uh, we will focus on liberating Mosul first, then we will have uh, the referendum. Honestly, I've even even the information that I've been reading, the videos I've been watching, uh, the articles I've been reading, I still understand nothing. Now, the one thing that I, I really, really want to understand is the the radical feminism. I'm very interested about this because I've one thing that I've always said is that it's not so much the West that needs it, but everywhere else, right? So it's very interesting that that's like a main thing in Kurdistan. It's mostly related to, I think it was the YPJ, that the, a lot of the fighters are, are younger. Mm -hmm. I had questions about that sort of thing. That yeah. it's like, well, a lot of the fighters are relatively young, which would imply that they started fighting even younger, considering that they're all trained, right? What is the motivating factor for these, you know, teenage girls to go and join a fighting force to defend their land. I don't know what the name in English, but there's people who talk to these girls and I wouldn't say convinced, but like they tell them about the Kurdish cause, they tell Recruiters. them about the gender cause. Yeah, yeah, basically. They tell them about everything that they fight for and these girls are usually convinced and they go with them, but there's no like forcing involved. But the thing is, why you hear it's kidnapping, their families want these girls back, but they cannot get them back. They're gone. Okay. So what they do is that they go to the Turkish media and they're like, oh, they kidnapped my girl, but there's no mm -hmm. kidnapping involved usually. Okay. So yeah, it is basically just all Turkish propaganda then. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and Syrian. That's pretty, sure. And that, that's pretty much what I figured. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can necessarily say like completely rule it out. I think there's all, you know, that, that healthy skepticism sort of thing. Like it's, it's. That's where all these conspiracy theories come from, is like the kernels of truth, which everyone sort of expands on and mm -hmm. elaborates and and yeah. blows up to proportions. Uh, he, he blocked me a long time ago. You know that one goofy guy who lives in like Sweden or something? Michael, who like says like the weirdest like shit about- Oh yeah, oh my god. <laughs> I think his name is uh, Michael Arizanti, right? Yeah, so I, he said something along the lines of, uh, that the PKK makes the women like basically like uh, cut off their breasts and like become men or something. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> and it's like, and the whole the whole thing is is like I know where this stems from. It's because a lot of them take up vows of celibacy, which happens when you're kind of escaping rape. You know, yeah. they don't really do mixed gendered units. So you'll have like you'll have the women in their own base and the men in their own base. I think it's good that there's like this division based on sex because you I know in too. America and a lot of uh, Western countries there's a lot of sexual assault and there's a lot of women being like taken advantage of so women staying together and fighting alone it is I think more adequate like better 
than them integrating. Specifically with America, they keep trying to do, because women want to fight in America. Like, I, I mean, if you look at how our country's attitude is, obviously the women want to be on the front lines to fight, right? So they keep on trying to do these mixed gendered integrated units. And it's like, um, the you know the movie Starship Troopers, that shower scene where all the girls have their tits out and stuff? That could, that you can't do that. That's just not gonna happen in the military. Yeah. And I think that's the main reason why the United States military can't implement this. Israel seems to do it well, but Israel like has a lock on propaganda. So I don't know, you know, who knows what's going on. But I heard somewhere that there's like sexual assault in the IDF also, they just don't report it much. Of course there is. Kurdish women actually lead the world in female fighters. The percentage of women in the military in Israel is 33%. In America, it's 14 And in all of Kurdistan, it's 40%. Well, it started with the PKK because um, unlike the other nationalist movements that started during that uh, time, that era was like full of nationalist movements going on in all parts of Kurdistan. The PKK had like the women's rights um, ideology alongside its national um, ideology. And one of the co-leaders was Sakina. I don't know if you guys know her. She was, um, she was a, a co-leader. She was like very, very much friends with Abdullah Ozdan. She was an activist from a very young age. She uh, ran away from a forced marriage, like she's an icon. Um, she's like had her own unit of women in the PKK with, uh, alongside Abdullah Ojalan. So this like kind of started this woman fighting alongside um, the men for the Kurdish movements. And it kind of went along in like other uh, parts of Kurdistan also. But even like even today, it's usually either the PKK or the units somehow affiliated with the PKK that have the most women fighters. But uh, there's like a good amount of women also in the uh, KDPI, a branch sort of of party in, in Iran. They have a lot of women fighters and also in PAK, P-A-K. Um, they have a lot of female fighters there's, there also, but they're not affiliated with the PKK. And in the Peshmerga in Bashur, we do have some women fighters but what i see is that they are mostly used for propaganda reasons that's not necessarily true but um, it's usually when the americans or someone from the west comes and they make these women um, to like welcome them and it's like a sort of they're using them tokenizing these women that's actually a huge part of the uh, IDF as well. I mean, if you IDF look at their props, yeah, the IDF babes, like they all have Instagrams and stuff. It's literally their job to just look cute on Instagram and like take pictures and stuff. And that's what exactly. they do for the army. Yeah. And like these women in the Peshmerga here, they even, it's, it's so unprofessional. They wear makeup. Sometimes they have their hair out. I don't know like how, how this is allowed in like the military where you're mm -hmm. supposed to be like, um, resilient and um, adequate enough to fight. It, I don't think it's professional. Even before uh, the Peshmergas now, you know, during, um, before we had a Kurdistan, before the aut autonomy, when the Peshmergas were fighting in the mountains, there was, there were a lot of female fighters, but they were not actually fighting. They were the wives of the pe male Peshmergas. Where does the militant 
nature of Kurdistan sort of ceased to be needed? When you are a Kurd, it's never certain. Like, just Bashur is the only sort of autonomy that we have, but even this is not secure because, like, Iran is affiliated with it, with the PUK, there's Turkey affiliated with it, with the PDK. Like, there's all these imperialist forces within Bashur, and even that autonomy does not completely belong to us, and it could be gone tomorrow. If the, the dangers are never going to end, and the four regions of Kurdistan are all sort of independent of each other, would working together not aid, like, working together more? I think right now it's impossible for all of them to work together. Even even in the South, it's so divided among these political lines and tribal lines. Yeah, it's like, because it's not just the foreign powers that are trying to divide us. They are 100%, and there's a lot of evidence of that, especially in, like, Bakur. But our, like, within our own people, there's, like, a, a saying in Kurdistan, like a proverb, and they say within 10 Kurds, one of them is a Josh, one of them is like a traitor. So um, like even within us, there's people who um, are assimilated with like the foreign powers. There is even the Kurds that have power work against each other. We have like PDK working against PUK and even outside of Kurdistan in uh, uh, Roshalat, it's basically the Iranian Kurdistan. There's like KDPI against uh, Pijak. PGAK, which is like a part of the PKK. There's like inter internal conflicts everywhere around Kurdistan. So I would say that uniting, I wouldn't say impossible, but I don't see that it could be a short-term goal. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the opposed philosophy of just pursuing autonomy with inside these states instead of independence? I don't think that would work because for centuries we've tried to make peace with these states we've tried to work with these states we've offered like a lot of agreements and so on but we've always been like stabbed in the back we have always regretted our decision i mean even the united states does it to you so yeah it happened in rojava they were supposed to stay and protect the people but they left we also gave saddam the blueprints for the sarin gas he dropped on you so oh that's so, horrible. Going back to the Anfal campaign, um, I wanted to talk about uh, just before it happens. Um, I don't remember all the exact quotes, but they call him Chemical Ali. He actually got yeah. and broadcasted on the radio mm -hmm. that he's going to go commit genocide with chemical weapons. And then a bunch of slurs about Kurds and how he's going to wipe them all out. Yeah. And then he literally challenges the international community saying they're not going to do shit. And, I think that's why you know, like, they hung him, so they ended up yeah, doing shit in the exactly. end. So. That's why I think like the US came and executed Saddam. It was not for the sake of Kurds, it was not for the sake of Kuwait or whatever. I think it was just because Saddam was challenging the American authority a lot. And he well, was supposed Saddam to had to go regardless. He well, he was he was much too dangerous in this world. He had to go. It was gonna happen. If we didn't do it, Israel was going to do it, or Iran was going to invade and do it. No, 100%. And, and it would have been messy as fuck if Israel did it, because, oh my God, would that inspire yeah. jihadis. But uh, I think, like, this, that's the reason why America attacked. They just knew that he was a dangerous man, and he had to be, like, they have to take him out. It was for America's interests and nothing else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just like Gaddafi.
I don't think Gaddafi had to die, is all. I mean, his people were very satisfied with killing him, so good for them. But e even Saddam, I would have much rather seen his trial be dragged out and, you know, him answer, him answer yeah. for more crimes and things like that. And even to the end, the his propaganda machine, like the way he tried to present himself so regally in court and the court was a kangaroo court. It was a mess. Like we knew damn well what was going to happen to the guy. I don't know why they just didn't pick him up back and shoot him at that point. Cause it's like, they weren't taking it seriously to begin with. What happened after, after Kuwait and the genocide is we actually uh, put no fly zones in place. So yeah, I wanted to ask you uh, what the general opinion of the US is um, inside Kurdistan uh, and just sort of general views of the West in general. Like, is it sort of hesitant sort of optimism? Is it complete distrust? Like what, what's the, where's the, the metric sitting at the moment? I think Kurds are like much more impartial to the, the West in comparison to the Arabs and the Turks because usually it's them that like step on American flags and like they have very very hostile sentiments against them but within Kurdistan and from like my experience with the Kurds they are very um, hopeless like they, they don't trust them but there's no like they wouldn't go out their way to have hostile or violent sentiments against them so I think like although we we do not trust them we do not like count on them but we are not as aggressive in terms of sentiment as the Arabs and the Turks. If we want we want to get Kurdistan representation in the UN. It's 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 I think it's a, the next logical goal if the referendum isn't going to be recognized I think that's the next logical goal it's just to get somebody in the UN even if they don't have power just a figure in a seat there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Do you, do you think it would change anything? Well, I think that whenever like um, a power or some sort of authority supports the Kurds in any way, um, they would be threatened by the Turkish state. And so subsequently they would like, because after the referendum, the Turkish state collaborated with like Iran and the other states and they accused Kurds of like, they said the whole referendum is a Zionist scheme. So the whole like Middle East was against us, like the whole. Well, also they, like... they think that the Kurds are going to rise up in their country, so that's why they're coming at you and oppressing you because they're scared that they'll lose power. I think that's like an excuse because they don't want Kurds to hold power anywhere, mm -hmm. like even when it's outside of Turkey, even when like because that's what I mean. Yeah, the referendum was made by the um, you know KDP. They they support Turkey, but mm -hmm. they still did it because they just. They are very Kurdophobic. They really hate Kurds. They just don't want them to hold power. Well, at least right now, too. I mean, it's like before, even in Iran, they have a little bit of autonomy. But I, I've been told that the the Kurds living in Iran are more okay with being Iranian than having a Kurdish identity. Do you Have you heard anything about that? Well, I think that's bullshit because I know a lot of Kurds from Rojhalat or diaspora Roshati people and they are much more nationalist than me and even during the fight with ISIS it was only the uh, the units in the Rosh Halat that came and aided the Peshmerga in their fight also one thing that a lot of people don't know during uh, since of October you know when we lost Kirkuk but uh, after that we lost Kirkuk 
before that, when the Peshmerga retreated, the PKK came and the Hafage came and they fought for a short while. But when they knew like there has been a treason going on, they left too. But I think when there's like fights going on, the Kudus forces are, are like ready to rejoin and fight together. So this violence kind of brings you together. Yeah. So it was after the referendum. Referendum happened because of, well, we got like independent economy because before that, all our revenue and so on were coming from Iraq. So it was because of the independent economy, we basically um, exported our own oil outside of Kurdistan. And because of that, the Iraqi federal government, they stopped giving us revenue. So from then on, we were like economically independent. So this like made a foreground for becoming completely independent. There's like a lot of economic problems because the salaries cut off. We were like basically starving for a while, but that's a whole another topic. And also one more thing, during the ISIS war, we, the Peshmerga, took over a lot of disputed areas. They mm -hmm. are Kurdish, historically Kurdish, but by constitution, they're either disputed or they belong to the Iraqi government. But because of the ISIS war and the, they run away, the Iraqi army run away, the Peshmerga took over them. And during the referendum, these disputed areas, they could vote for like independence. And after that, majority voted yes. So there was like operations going on. There was a lot of intimidation going on. And it was, I remember during that time, because like, I, we were like watching the news the whole time. Um, we were scared because there were like threats of attack every single day from the Iraqi army and from the Turkish army. And, but there were like the videos of Peshmergas coming and saying, oh, it's nothing, you will protect everyone, don't worry. Uh, but one day, and I think it happened during the night, PUK, um, they organized that, hey, you can come take over it and you will run away and no one will know. Because a couple of days before 16th of October, um, Qasem Soleimani was seen. It was like a whole agreement going on. And the reason was because they were not getting enough oil revenue by PUK. So it was like not for any reason. It was for economical reason because they wanted like money. They are corrupt as much as uh, PDK. But they were not like, they didn't have the whole disputed areas because some areas like Mahmur, Bashika and Shangal, they were under the rule of party. What happened is that during the night, not the ones in front, but all the artillery and the weaponry and the soldiers, they left. So everyone had to retreat. But there was like some war going on. There's a, a leader, a really known leader. His name is Kosrad Rasul. He did not know about the attack. And there's a conspiracy that the leaders in PUK wanted to get him killed because he does not collaborate with them in the terms of like the corrupt. He's not as corrupt as the rest. And um, they, they fought, but then they also retreated. But this was like a very bloody fight because there's a video, I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's like 25 dead Peshmergas uh, because of like the, the artillery, uh, artillery that was shot at them. And it was just like very horrible. But for the morning when we woke up, what we knew is that like Kirkuk was gone. And it was not just Kirkuk, it was even the disputed areas and the party. The only um, war, like the only fight conflict that went on was in Perde. Uh, party fought there and they did not let the uh, house come uh, closer to us, to the KRI. Or I think they would have even taken over it. Although there's like the 
36 line it, it was made by the um, it was made by the US after the Anfar genocide they said hey there's a line you cannot cross it so this was where like they stopped but they stopped before Perde because there was like an active conflict there but even now like we really um, there's so much damage we lost more than 30% of the land because of this you know, agreement because of this collaboration with um, the Iraqi government and the, um, the Shia militias. Would you say that for most of your life, your country has been getting better or getting worse? I would say worse because before it was bad, but we had our salaries. We, you know, when we went to Kirkuk, there were Kurdish flags. And, but now when we go to Kirkuk, they, there was like a very uh, big Kurdish flag when you went inside, but they uh, destroyed it. They made Iraqi flag in place of it. They put Iraqi flag in the hands of the uh, Peshmerga statue and everything. So we've like completely lost Kirkuk because I remember going to Kirkuk and there was a lot of Peshmergas, a lot of Kurdish flags all, all around, and we lost that. And even the money, there's like employment crisis and salary. There's no one taking like salaries. My mom, um, there was a while there were like months ongoing and she still did not receive her salary. And when she would receive it, it would be like half of it or even like less a quasi part of it. So we lost the salaries. We lost Kirkuk. And I think it's just like a downward spir spiral because now we even have the Turks coming in front. Do you think the referendum is responsible for losing Kirkuk? I don't think it's like I wouldn't blame it on the referendum because it's a human right. It's the fundamental human rights of every people to choose to be independent. I don't think that was a mistake. So the independence would be great, but the time was not right. And one thing I forgot to mention, there was a movement that started then. It was called Nakhir de Estada, which means for now, no. Like for now, you will vote no. And the leader was named Shaswar Abdurrahid. He was saying that this referendum will be a great catastrophe for Kurds because Kurds are not united. And he was ultimate, ultimately right because we lost Kirkuk um, because of the conflict between PUK and PDK. So I think if we were united and they were not corrupt and they were not taking the oil revenue for themselves and they were actually serving the people, the referendum would have like, it would have been great because imagine if the Peshmerga fought back in Kirkuk, we would have gotten a lot of things like elder recognition. But we lost everything because there was no unity and there was a lot of corruption and the people not supporting the government and the people being poor, not having salaries. The time was not right. The cost was right. And the intention partially was right. Do you think that Kurds would be united if it wasn't for the government? Yeah, because we have a lot in common. Like we share the same uh, language. We share the same culture. It's only the border, the borders that like separate us. Otherwise, we are like one people and we have one cause all the movements no matter how much conflict they have how come how uh, corrupt they are they all have one goal and it's an independent kurdistan so i think kurds would like be completely united if it was not for these leaders that were causing us, us to fight against each other what does it mean to you like what does being kurdish mean to you well <laughs> that's a weird question um, I was born a Kurd. I speak Kurdish and I have been around Kurds my whole life. So 
so I think it's language, it's culture, it's a shared identity, it's um, you know having um, one cause, one um, I think one destination sort of one goal, and um, yeah, because even a lot of Kurds, they are by blood Kurds, but they do not like support the independence and they support like the um, invaders and so on. I don't think they're Kurds. So I think it's not just the language, not just, just the blood. It's also this loyalty to, to the Kurdish cause. It was good. It was a lot of uh, very, very interesting information. Because well, you, you said it, you said before, is this a, you, after everything that you've learned on it, you understand nothing. How do you feel now? About the same. In terms of what? <laughs> About the same. I, so, it's, think, so we oh, need. Yeah, yeah. So we need another yeah, yeah. one. We need another one. You yeah, still. Yeah, you more. still feel no, like you know I'm, nothing. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very. It's. It just seems like it's. Uh, it's very. It's a very dense subject. There's a lot of history. A lot of history that's sort of lost between the margins. And most people don't know they exist. Well, there's that too. Because I didn't. I didn't know until. People only knew during the ago. ISIS war. That's the only reason I know, is because of ISIS. Yeah. Which is ironic, isn't it? It was like we didn't exist beforehand. I would just say I'm Kurdish, and they were like, what's a Kurd? And one funny thing, once I talked to this um, LGBT uh, activist, I talked with her, and I told her, like, I'm Kurdish, and she was like, oh, sorry, what's Kurdish? I'm not trying to be offensive. She thought it was a, sex a sexuality. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. It's it's very it's very interesting, and I'm sure that Kurdistan is not the only place that's like this. Like I'm sure that there's heaps of these sort of places, these autonomous regions. They're the biggest minority without a country, so by that definition, they're the most oppressed people on earth. There might be worse things going on right now to happening mm -hmm. to other people, yeah. but as far as like scale and by definition and metrics, they're the most oppressed people on earth. Period. We do get along great with the Kurds. We're trying to help them a lot. Don't forget, that's their territory. That's we have to help them. I want to help them. Go ahead. What's next? They Thank fought you. with us. They fought with us. They died with us. They died. We lost tens of thousands of Kurds died fighting ISIS. We, we don't forget. I don't forget what happens someday later, but I can tell you that I don't forget. When Iraq was fighting the Kurds, everybody thought we were going to fight with the Kurds. I said, well, it's a little strange that we're fighting with the Kurds when we just spent $4 trillion on Iraq, and now we're going to be fighting Iraq. So what I did is I said, we're not going to take a position. Let them fight themselves. I thought the Kurds would do very well. Everyone said, oh, the Kurds will do very well. Well, Iraq moved in and the Kurds left. They didn't fight because they didn't have us. Okay, so I'm Daura Mahmoud. I'm Kurdish and I'm from Kandil Mountainous, which is the main PKK's base is there. And I'm a third stage student of filmmaking department at the University of Suleiman. And I heard you were doing a documentary the other day? Yes, I'm in the like the, the development stage or course. And it's about uh, water sensitivity and water pollution reduction. And, and How long have you been doing that for? It has been like when I was uh, grade 11, it has been five years ago, the, the idea. And uh, four months ago, I started scripting it and uh, making it. So I'm raising funds now for, for the documentary to shoot it. Mm -hmm. We can start to talk about um, 
the claw operations that have been ongoing with Turkey in the area. Um, I, I think, I believe, didn't your village get bombed? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right now in Kandil. And uh, last night there were so many, so many bombings in the the mountain cattle behind us. So we could not move our car in the villages and turn them on. We were not, uh, this year we are not able to take any pictures, cell phones, cameras in the Khandil mountains, even in our villages, in our gardens. That's interesting you say that because I'm so I'm so used to seeing like, you know, you'll see smoke clouds coming from the mountain and someone be like, this yeah. place is being bombed. And it has been a minute since I've seen that. Is that just operational security sort of stuff? Is that coming directly from the forces fighting or how, how does that work? Yeah, it's directly from the PKK and like if you have seen videos like those who are the smoke coming out from the, the mountain. The person who shot that video will be in trouble because the security forces in the mountains now and the villages now are going through every house, every household and check them all securely to not use any photos or any suspicious actions. Do you find that you are catching, sort of, uh, catching, it's... Try not to use euphemisms, um, receiving aggression from both sides, whether that's mm -hmm. the, the PKK or it's whoever, the, the Assad or whoever. I think I'm receiving and catching aggression from the, the Turkish side and Islamism side, not the PKK or Rav side, because, uh, the, the thing with, with PKK and their rulers or everything about them that they do to people in, in the villages that, that they don't like are lo logic things like now the checkpoints are in the, the villages and people are so angry about this and but is their only solution. So you're saying they just have no choice? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. have no choice. And that's a common thing, you know? A lot of times how I feel with Rojava is like a lot of the things that they have to do, they have no choice. Yeah, and, and the people don't understand, like, they, they, they say the PKK and the, or Ojala were from uh, North Iran, Kurdistan, like Bakur. Why not they go back to their uh, this is a criticism that I used to have, and I kind of swallowed it since then. And yeah. I realized that who it was coming from, and it's not really like parties from inside the the state. If they're fighting Turkey, why don't they go to Turkey? I've said that before in the past, and I can understand why people would feel that way. Yes, but but th they are treating the the Kurdish Christian as. The, the Kurdistan is all one part, not Bakur or, or nor, north mm -hmm. or east or west. I think that that is the, the the thing. Do you do you feel that it's all one region, or do you still feel that it's divided? It it, it is politically divided, and unfortunately, there are borders, but it is the greater Kurdistan already. So we had a country, we had a. Mm -hmm. history 
older than most of the, the nations in the mi Middle East. It, it is an ethnic. We have the, the oldest language or anything you say about humanity. The first civilization. One of the, fir one of the first civilizations, yeah. One of the oldest continuously yeah. inhabited cities. So how would, right. how would you say public support in Kurdistan is for groups like the PKK? Is it sort of the same spot it has been for a while? Is there more support? Is there less support? How how is the the general feeling in Kurdistan? Yeah, the, the public support for PKK is decreasing day by day because the news agencies are uh, spreading false facts about them and mm -hmm. uh, like it's PD, PDK and PUK or. Turkey, they are both together um, making them the devil and the people are believing them because so so pe people are bored too, they are tired too, they are tired of all mm -hmm. the political p parties in uh, Southern Kurdistan, so the thing is not only with PKK, I think, because they are tired of all political mm -hmm. parties and they say it's been like 20, more than 20 years and they did nothing. They did nothing, but I say, here's Rojava. They made Rojava. I can certainly understand why people would feel like that though. Um, how, about, how about Turkey? How do people feel about Turkey? The most common thing you will face when you come to Southern Kurdistan is the assimil assimilation made by Turkey of the, the Kurdish people. Soft force, which is cinema and advertisement, like their products also, like their food is or anything in Kurdistan. M most of the, the things in, in Kurdistan, especially the, the, the food chain is being imported uh, from, from Turkey. And there's a lot of, a lot of, TV series, uh, t Turkish TV series in uh, so, so South there's Europe. a lot of soft power coming from Turkey. Well, what I was going to ask yes. is, do you feel like they're using mm -hmm. capitalism as a weapon? Yes, yes. And it, it is happening since uh, since 2011. They are separating the, the soft power in Southern Kurdistan and they have succeeded in that. Yeah, I, I can see that. You you can see that. Everybody can, can see that they are they have succeeded in in that, and they have assimilated most of us, and we see see them as a developed country, uh, a peaceful country. Uh. So, do you think that's where opposition to the PKK comes in? That this soft power spreading through southern Kurdistan has influence the opposition to the PKK the, and what they're the, doing? The, the thing I talked about was the was some of the biggest reasons, but the, there are a lot of reasons we, which are uh, happening daily, like the, the news and the propaganda made by the Southern Kurdish political parties against the mm -hmm. PKK. So the people's mind are being washed. So does this, does this affect the other 
Kurdish areas, or is it just, do you think, southern Kurdistan that's specifically yeah, taking the brunt? Yes, uh, th that was a great question, because the PDK have also many, many, many followers in Rojava, the, the PDK party, which is I just the want to interrupt one second. Sometimes, of... sometimes people okay. know them as the KDP, and I just want to be clear that they're the same group. They're just switching letters Yes, around. yes. Sorry, sorry, continue. Yes, KDP. So uh, they have a lot of a lot of uh, followers in Rojava, and even they they have a army in the. They have a about fourteen to eleven thousand soldiers. Mm -hmm. Like they're for... on the border, or do they operate in Rojava? Both, both. Uh, they they even have so many followers in. Rochelat, like the Eastern mm -hmm. Kurdistan, uh, and one of the political, the oldest political party of uh, Eastern Kurdistan, the Democratic Party of Kurdistan, Iran, is now one of the branches of KDP, which is the Democratic Party of Kurdistan, Iraq. Of the four regions of Kurdistan, north, south, east, west, what ones do you think have the best relations together? None of them. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. We, we don't have much connect connection with each other. I, I was always complaining about that. Like the Southern part and the Rojava part, we are both having our, our autonomous region. We should gather, we should connect with we should be one autonomous region, the Rojava and the, the South Kurdistan. But there are different political parties in uh, Rojava. Is uh, and I think it is anarcho-communism in Rojava. Mm -hmm. And th th there's another thing in Bashur. There's there isn't a stable political system the, the democratic system is being uh, th there isn't democratic system mm -hmm. in, in Bashar actually but like the two uh governators or the i i have I a graphic too it's right here behind me so i'll be throwing up full screen yeah, yeah. The, the yellow one the, the yellow one K kdp Mm -hmm. is being uh, running in Duhok and Erbil, which is Erbil uh, is the capital, and the PUK, the green one, was is in Halabza and uh, Soleimani, which we had Kirkuk before, and they sold it, which Kirkuk was... Uh, they sold Kirkuk and Shingle, which were the 51 percent of Southern Kurdistan part in 2016 to Ajdi After the re referendum, so after the referendum, Ajdi uh, Shabi, which is the people's voice, I think, uh, they uh, attacked the, the, the both cities and they just handed them. How has that has that affected you economically? Because a lot of people in Herbal Howler, I've heard a lot of stuff about how losing Kirkuk has really affected a lot of jobs and salaries. How, how are you feeling about that? 
I, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't have much information about that. But mm-hmm. to me, it, it hasn't affected me so much. But it was better before the referendum. Like the things were cheaper and the... I don't know. It's confusing, actually. You're right. Yeah, it is. Kurdistan is confusing, though. Yes, so. yes, actually it is. There's a lot so, of information. So, uh, mm-hmm. any day is, is a new rule. Any day is a new law. Any day is a new system. We don't understand. We are confused, all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, how, okay. Well, this leads in, into a question I wanted to ask: is how how is life for a, for I guess the regular Kurdish person? This year uh, was we have been going through. I think the, the most crisis, like the gas uh, price rises up, and uh, and when the uh, gas price rises, taxi owners demonstrated, protested. When the student aid ha- haven't been been paid, the students were protesting. So there were a lot of a lot of crisis, but we were all protesting differently and we had the same problem but we were protesting differently in a different situation for a different issue but our question was the same it was the the bureaucracy it was the capitalism it was the authority it was the privatization a lot of a lot of much stuff like this that's the that's the hardest part is that it's the the you know, the individual person, you know, a student doesn't have money to fund an entire ad propaganda campaign. So how it's right. It's just how they use it as a weapon to divide people. So I want to talk about an interesting thing, which will, uh, I, I'm sure you two both will like it. So it is like a th- theater play. The government and the political parties make crisis the people rise yeah so they the make they make crises so they can kind of come in and solve it and then people start to like the government yeah but there's another thing book. there's another thing the people who are protesting and demonstrating are the politi- political parties themselves they are members of them like uh, for for instance for your image in the student is uh, pro- protest is like in university of Soleimani, which I-, I talked about earlier i'm a student of there so the protests were two weeks and uh between the two weeks there was another week between them which they closed the university so all of them uh, went home so the first week the protests were so crowd so the, the most students were protesting in there mm-hmm. uh more than any kurdish cities more than any demonstration and protests ever done in bashur bigger than the uh rise up in the 1991 student leaders of the protests and the demonstration were 
members of PUK, which PUK controls uh, Soleimani. So the second week, all of the students who were protesting and were not members of PUK got arrested and were held in prison for like one week or two weeks. And they were, after the, they got released, they uh, signed up uh, like an agreement or I, I don't know the, the name. So it was like a, a vow or anything, not able anymore to protest or demonstrate. Okay, so a they, non-disclosure they, agreement. This, yes, this they would pay if they were, they were doing it again. So the second week... I was the one who made the protest and the demonstration because there was there were no students left to be a leader or to organize the ask it to join the political party PUK, I mean, and they all accepted. So I was the only one left. I was the last one and I organized a protest. Inside the university, I gathered all the students of the colleges from the Fine Artists College till uh, College of Language. So when we all gathered, I was all alone from the, the early morning. When I gathered them uh, all, it was I, I was not seeing the, the end of the, the people of the the demonstration. I decided for them to go along the streets, like it was the main street of Soleimani city. It was like the main vein of Soleimani. So we blocked the street. And after that, the students, their servers, some of them, they were spy and yeah, they were informants. Yeah, yeah, informants. So they arrested me and like it was 621 students were arrested before me for the same reason, but I was the only one who got, uh, who m m made a court for me. Like it was a, a real judge and two, two de detectives they started to investigate from my dad's, dad's biography and history till, uh, to, to why I managed, uh, organized the, the protest. And like the other students were arrested, they paid like 200, thousand Iraqi dinars but mine was two million Iraqi dinars. I paid two million Iraqi dinars to as like we say kafalit. Yeah. So, so, so they, they literally paid, the opposite. You needed money for your education and they took it from you. Right. That's what it sounds like. And what they just they just shut down the protests why? Because they just didn't want them like what what was the reasoning here 
I don't know, PUK was uh, coming to, to the protests and were supporting us to uh, against PDK. And PDK mm -hmm. was uh, coming inside the protests and supporting the, the students to uh, go against the PUK. So we were confused which side are you in? And but the, the, the main target was the government but they were shutting down the, the protests. I don't know either why, because I got in court. I even signed a paper which the, the, the judge uh, wrote, but I still don't know why I got arrested. Do you think Kurdistan could unify in order to um, solidify their position in the area, as opposed to having all these all these different regions of Kurdistan fighting each other while fighting other people. How how do you think, what, what do you think would be the best method for them to unify, to be able to actually, I guess, uh, go beyond the point that they're at now? Also, so, do you think it's possible for them to unify? Yeah. That was a better way or for uh, asking this question because uh, I say that but don't uh, accuse uh, for, for the, the information because I'm an anarchist but uh, I don't say that because I am an anarchist but uh, I don't have any hope for unifying uh, any, any unifying from them and th there is no hope actually let's not use the word unity let's use cooperation is mm -hmm. there is there a middle ground that all four regions of kurdistan could reach in order to cooperate with each other to at least um secure their own autonomy yeah but we are not able to do that because we have a great of cyclists like the PDK and PUK or like the uh, intelligence agencies of Iran and uh, Turkey. Many of the things. So it seems it seems like the issues are, are always coming back to the political parties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, uh, they have most of the, the power and most of the mm -hmm. oil minus or wells and most of the, the human humanitarian resources most of the, the so it's, natural it's, it's, resources yeah, it's, it's the resource control that the the centralization ha of the of right the power has has taken yeah okay right so, so you also you I also think have the, all these forces coming in from the outside so you have countries on all sides pressing them as well so it's like right. you have the division internally, and then you're also getting divided by four different powers as well. Exactly, exactly. But all I think about, all, all I want to do is just leave here and join a hippie community or <laughs> something. But yeah, because uh, I'm not seeing any hope here. Oh, but the only thing I'm happy about here is we got a lot of a lot of problems so I as a young documentarian can document most of them 
in in tricky ways, but I, I want I don't know. So there's sometimes the best thing you can do is just to document it for because because you yeah. think about it, it's like movies where it's like the end of civilization, so they have to leave a message for the next. You know, some things you yeah. just can't achieve in this lifetime. So you need to you exactly. need to create you need to keep the dream alive for the next one. Correct, correct. But but as I see the the the, the next the coming uh, generation is g getting way worse than us. Like <laughs> you just you have to believe that the revolution is inevitable. Yes, yes. Like the the, the difference between our generation and the the coming generation in Kurdistan is. We don't know what is going on, but they don't know what, where they are. Yeah, it it seems it seems like the the issues are far deeper than we have time to really get into. Um, well, that's why yeah. we're doing multiple <laughs> segments yeah. with multiple people. So, actually, well, I think I th I think you're right. The documenting it is probably. I mean, if if you have no hope, I guess that's just. Uh, but then, but then you've got the thing that you were saying before about them putting down, like suppressing uh, footage and photos and use of that sort of stuff. I mean, that that really seems like you're between a rock and a hard place. So it's you get so so many obstacles documented. This stuff is like. If you are uh, documenting in, in herbal or dog, you, you should get a permit from uh, a PDK, and you should have their same bag, political background and have faith in the Sultan or the, the Turkey or Halajar character. Okay, so, so it's, it's, a conditional, the it's a conditional license. or Iran. Yeah, and uh, even uh, I'm as I talked about that earlier. I'm making a documentary, environmental documentary film. I, I still get, get great obstacles like the the we have the little Zap River, which uh, uh, makes sixty percent of uh, Tigris river so we have Tigris and Euphrates in Iraq which Mesopotamia was uh, the land of the two the, rivers those two rivers yeah so we have little Zap uh, uh, river which uh, makes 60 of 60% uh, of Tigris river and it uh, comes from Handil mountains so it goes back to the, the other Kurdistan part, like uh, the Eastern uh, Kurdistan part, and they have made four dams in the Kurdish cities and bend mm -hmm. the water in in the opposite direction for the the Turkish cities and for their agriculture. So we. The, the the little Zap River got dried up. This is what Iran does to the uh, rivers that uh, spring there. 
So they make dams and uh, bend the water in the opposite di direction uh, for agriculture and uh, other industrial uses. But in Turkey, the, the thing is much bigger than this. They have two projects, the GAP project and yeah, the know about GAP. DAP project. Yeah, we have GAP is a small one, which is the, the grand one is uh, DAP, because GAP contains uh, 20 dams, but DAP contains more than 60 dams. And all of the, the, the dams are upon the Tigris and Euphrates River. Uh, the DAP project hasn't started yet, but the GAP project has started uh, last year. And uh, out of 20 dams, only one dam has uh, been opened officially this year. And just because of one dam, only one dam, a lot of a lot of civilizations has appeared in like the uh, cities of Dohok, uh, like Zaho. Uh, I, I talked about the the little Zap River. Uh, Iran dried up that river. We have. Uh, historical uh, civilizations are, are being appeared uh, in, in the water because oh, so, so they were like they were, and, buried and the water the uh, flood season can get them damaged and a lot of other stuff is displacing people also mm. and and uh, uh, i've seen a lot of stuff at just like um because it, it all goes down right so it's like even it's like so like a lot of people in southern iraq are just going to get it harder from all these damn projects too and so yeah. there's a lot of people whose lives are being destroyed all throughout all throughout the entire river because they're putting these dams at the source of the river yes we have the uh, arabian gulf or the iranians say it's iranian gulf yeah persian uh, gulf yeah Persian Gulf, right. So the main source of the Persian or the Arabian Gulf was uh, the both rivers of Euphrates and uh, Tigris, but they are not reaching uh, the Arabian Gulf anymore. And Saddam did a lot of environmental destruction too, down there yes, in the south. Yes, of course. But, that, you know, that's a story for another day. <laughs> yes, yes, actually. What do you feel is the Kurdish identity? How, what is being Kurdish to you? I think being Kurdish is like, I'm an anarchist, but I love my ethnic, I love my nation because I, I speak this language, I read poetry in this language, I read literature in, in this language, I do love in this language. Uh, so, as Emil Sharon says, we don't live in country, we live in language. So, language is our real home. And I see the Kurdish language as the oldest and the most ancient language 
or uh, among the all other languages world you see they are all derived and came from the Anatolian Gaelic comes straight from the region Gaelic is influenced by Iran and Kurd and it was so it went through Europe and it got way way warped from there but there's a lot of um there's a lot of vowels that sound very similar in Gaelic and Kurdish in certain Kurdish dialects not all of them but more of the Anatolia dialect speaking of Gaelic not that long ago we're talking a hundred years ago people in Ireland were being killed for not saying their name in English when they were asked to identify themselves by police. If they didn't respond in English, they would be executed on the spot. And I want to talk about how the extinction of language is being used by regimes like Turkey, how you can't even say the word Kurdistan there, and it can cause problems if somebody hears you and how other Kurds are the ones that you have to worry about more than the actual Turks. The Turkey was uh, in Turkey like, Decade ago, they were the three words were uh, forbidden: Kurd, Kurdish, Kurdistan. So anyone who uses this three words were being executed. They were not able to speak Kurdish. Uh, the greatest example is Musa Antar. It was like the most famous Kurdish uh, journalist and author uh he got arrested life in prison for speaking kurdish even when his mother visited him her mother was not knowing turkish so she she was just sitting and uh holding his son's hand is not being able to speak uh their language he died like this that but today turkey is uh working in is in a different way opening kurdish language learning courses for even turkish people and so i think getting the a little bit better that is yeah but the reason for that i think is they have the ottoman empire again so they want to uh by the faith of uh northern kurdish people and even when, when they uh control southern kurdistan they don't want the northern kurdish people go against them like what you just said because like i've never had that thought process like that was like a life-changing thing like I, like so many things are going on in my head right now and so many like philosophies that I've had are changing right now because I never thought about it that way like so in, in Iran is it is getting worse because uh, teaching anyone Kurdish is uh, like one of the hardest hardest thing is like last year, Zara Mohammadi, which was a, a Kurdish teacher in Senembej, like the, the Kurdistan province, got sentenced for five years in prison just for teaching Kiris uh, Kurdish language, their Kurdish language, because 
we have a, a lot of uh, Kurdish people in the Eastern Kurdistan who are not learning Kurdish and they are not being taught by their parents because their their parents are being afraid of the regime of the state and they just teach uh, far Persian to their Farsi. children. Yeah, Farsi. I mean, that's that's very concerning. That sounds exactly like what China's doing. Have you basically said exactly the same thing about language that you did? Mm. And that just goes to show you how important that is. because, And that's why it's the first thing that they're always going to attack. I, I've always been like, maybe it will get better when Erdogan is gone, but you, do you think that the next person will come in and just have more of that subversive agenda where they'll just kind of make the Kurds yeah. like them just to rebuild the empire, right? Right. See, it, that was a little dial of hope that I had, like maybe it could get better, and then it's, it's, you just destroyed mm. that for me, man. Uh, the Ayatollah is going to die soon, so let's hope Let's hope that uh, afterwards that uh, they don't allow maybe, another one to come in. And, maybe, and maybe, maybe he'll go, Assad go, and Erdogan will go, and maybe all the problems will be solved. 